Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Fortnite Story. I am joined alongside a former epic Fortnite caster and now doing some awesome things with the predecessor game. What's going on, Sundown? What up, SBG? It's been a minute. I'm excited to be on here and to be able to chat with you. And honestly, it's uh, it's awesome to be on the podcast for the first <laughs> time. You know, I've been a big fan going through and watching it from the very beginning. So to be able to uh, get on and have a more colloquial chat is definitely something I'm really excited to get into. Nice, nice. I'm glad you've been enjoying them. Uh, I love doing these conversations. It's always fun to just chat with people and I hope other people enjoy it. I've slowly been seeing more and more interest so i'm gonna keep trying to do it um and get a variety of people on here it's always cool to get different uh povs but uh you recently just got a a new gig working at predecessor game i don't know exactly what you're doing but you mind sharing what's going on with you yeah so i work over at uh omeda studios so they're based out of london but all the work is full remote and my title is senior gameplay designer so i'm doing a lot of things actually diving into the systems for how things interact looking at balance um in particular i've been working on a lot of the controller setup and making sure the game feels good on a controller um <clears throat> for those of you who are not aware predecessor is a third person MOBA based off of the MOBA that actually worked on before I worked on Fortnite uh, called Paragon that Epic made and then they sunset and released all of the assets publicly you can look it up online there's a ton of information and a ton of different uh, companies who have gone out to try and remake the games and I got an offer from one and ended up just taking it it's been really cool so far nice nice I'm glad it's worked out for you um, I know starting a new job sometimes can be a lot so Sounds like it's going well, and I know you said you were playing some of the game earlier to test things, so I, I'm excited. Do you know any idea when that's coming out? I mean, closed lips so far. We did just get confirmation if you end up in uh, checkout over on our Reddit there. People have been asking the entire time, and uh, we still have confirmed, and we've been on track for uh, early access to be sometime this year. Okay. But just uh, keep, keep your ear to the ground. You know, We'll be posting stuff. So Nice, nice. I come from uh, Warcraft 3, played some makeshift yeah. dota on that so um okay. very familiar with the the moba style and i'm interested to see i've never played uh paragon but i'm interested to see what it looks like and definitely have to check it out uh when it comes out so do you for me it's the uh the third person aspect was like super interesting because i know you ended up bringing up dota and that or the warcraft in that regard like i came from gears of war originally another epic okay. game way back then but then you apply it to the moba scene and i've played a ton of leagues so it's just kind of the mix of those two has been really cool to explore yeah i've seen there's been a couple of attempts of people making moba within fortnite um haven't worked exactly as i i would have hoped and i ha haven't gotten as many people to play it as i would have wanted but still a cool concept and i think as more and more tools come out like there'll probably be different games that develop just like we've seen out of those styles so that'll be something to watch here in the future i know you've teased on uh social media about doing some content and things and possibly streaming putting out some fortnite vods so like where's your your head at uh with fortnite now that you're diving into a new game are you still following the game still watching i'm definitely still watching keeping up to date in terms of all the results who's playing and all that um i think one of the biggest things for me that i didn't consider is it's at least from my perspective, it's really fun to just be a fan of competitive Fortnite after having been ingrained in it for so long. So to be able to just kind of watch and not necessarily have as much requirement for doing like kind of the study and going through the VODs, but just like seeing how it all plays out and having, I don't want to say necessarily less invested in the results because like the results before didn't matter to me, right? <laughs> it's all about just kind of everything going through and making sure the show went well and representing the players. Um, but just being able to be a little bit more casual with it, I think, has been cool. And being able to, like, actually theorycraft and speculate without knowing what's going on in the hood. Because at this point now, like, they're not doing anything that I'm aware of. Like, anything that I had seen or worked on or had any eyes on has been out. So, Okay. Uh, that's interesting. So you can just, like, get to sit back, enjoy it. And there's not that piece in the back of your mind, like, oh, this just happened in the game. I might need to go do this and tell somebody um interesting interesting have you looked at I, I guess you said you've been watching the divisional cups and stuff how do you think that's been working out as far as like play style with the weekly finals 
Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch this past. I watched a couple of games for a VOD review, but I didn't watch like the tournament in its entirety. But what are your like initial thoughts now as a, a fan on the, the new tournament structure? Uh, I think it's good to try something different because as we've seen, like, yes, you can end up rolling out either two step cups or just like the one stage, either solos or duos going through, but to try and further filter it out because like competitive Fortnite at the absolute top is kind of weird because to even get in at a baseline level and to get to that very like top league and get into champions and being able to play in those elite cups uh is very difficult but then also within that core group there's another subset of the very very tippity top who are just at another level so trying to kind of recreate the environments that you get when you do have those top players crashing over and over again and having the seriousness of what you're going to see in november on the land environment when it's 12 games going through or however many games haven't checked the format um and getting those types of interactions, I think it's building up to that because there's such a big difference between dropping in casually versus dropping in arena versus dropping in an open round game and then going all the way through to the very top of the elite cups, right? And trying to kind of measure that and get that level of competition consistently. I think this is a step closer in the right direction, but I also like as the community has seen with trying to form discord servers and noble prac and all of that from the very beginning like all the way back to snipe cords getting practice in a battle royale is really 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 hard so i think trying this is a good way of trying something different while there's not necessarily as much at least I feel pressure on the players to perform when it comes to like, oh, there's the FNCS going through. So if one, if I have one really bad weekend, I put myself super far behind. Like there's right. a little bit more of kind of like accumulation to it. Right. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. And like you said, I, I think this is a great step to have some sort of like weekly tournament. It's almost like a league that the players get to play in. And the coolest thing to me is it's not region locked and there's, players that are now climbing the ranks. I mean, Peterbot made elite in both West and EU after qualifying to elite in the first week. So those kind of players and those kind of performances will stand out. And it's going to be awesome to see those guys just continue to prove out how good they are on multiple different regions and seeing, okay, you're a player that can play at the top of a challenger lobby consistently. But are you a player that can, now you're an elite, consistently make those weekly finals and then also perform at the top 10 of those? Because we're at like a tier system now. And my one of my biggest, I guess not biggest complaints, but like my only critique would be maybe more divisions. I don't know exactly how that would work based on player bases, but give some more variance. Uh, the contender cups seem to be a W key fest. And that's the only thing I've been able to make it into. So maybe there's like more rising and that gives increased motivation for players to play because then there's like more steps for them to grind to. And we know those top players, the pros, they're always going to reach that final level, final lobby, whatever it may be. And so far, so good. I mean, this first week, I, I went back. The team I was VOD reviewing this week was Duke and Clicks, and I am so impressed at how good that team has become over, I don't basically since Pink was not able to make it when they first started playing together. They've become one of the top teams in NA East, and to be honest, I didn't know Clicks had that in him, and it's really cool to see. I mean, we, we've always seen kind of that high ceiling when it comes to Clix's gameplay. It's just putting it all together. And I think he's been hindered by the fact where, like, if duos stick together, and this is true in almost any team sport, particularly when it comes to video games, like when teams stick together, you're able to develop better chemistry. You tend to put up more consistent results. If you are putting up works results and you're sticking together, like odds are good, especially in a game like Fortnite, you're not going to end up sticking together. So I think it was just only about time as long as he ended up just sticking to what he knew and finding a game plan eventually they'd be able to cover it up because the question isn't like how good can clicks be at his best right it's like what is clicks's floor on the day because when his floor is super low 
there's people like all, I think all of EU can eat him up, and I think there's a lot of NA East who have no problem dropping near him and coming up with a game plan to take him out because they'll take advantage of that. When he's at his absolute best, as we saw going all the way back to the World Cup qualifiers, there's times where he's arguably untouchable when you get wall-to-wall -wall with him. He just moves so fast, and now at this point, it's second nature to him. Yeah, it's been really cool, and one of the things that impressed me the most about their uh, weekly final win was the lack of eliminations they had. It's just going back, they're a team that has seemed to be very, very efficient in their material usage and their movements, and I I've not seen many teams be able to be as efficient as they are. And granted, Chromes are now like a, a big curveball that everyone's trying to figure out. Um, they can make you more efficient as if as you find some rotates. But I've also seen a ton of things go wrong when players try and like use that boost and then accidentally wind up in a box and then get knocked. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Have you gotten a chance to to play with the Chromes in this new season? I'd love to to know your thoughts on it. So I, I play a lot. Um, but again, as I've always caveated anytime I cast it in all that regard and going back, um, almost all of my playing is exclusively just hanging out in arena and playing for those end game moments and going through there and just like actually trying to look and see how I can maximize my placement and efficiency. Um, so I'd say the biggest thing for me, and this almost plugs back into kind of the clicks point as well, is it feels like the map in particular in the meta, and especially with the update that literally just dropped, is there's more varied movement opportunities that occur naturally. If you go and look just kind of as chapter three as a whole, like right at the very start, it was almost stripped down or simplified with the exception of the spidey gauntlets, the swingers, whatever they were, like whatever variation there. Um, it was almost very stripped down in terms of movement and in terms of like innovative movement where you actually have to think about combining things together where there it's bounce pad plus launch pad that we've seen before going all the way back to the world cup with how do you navigate the wind tunnels plus the ballers and what are you're able to make use of and i think chrome adds a huge element to that right it's like hey when are you able to be able to dip down when can you make a rotate or a stretch that you wouldn't have been able to make before and maybe get ahead of somebody and cut them off on their path and I think one of the most interesting things is how they're starting to at least look at how wall interactions could end up occurring. Because I've always wanted, like, the idea that somebody can just hold the wall and sit there is, I don't want to say necessarily detrimental to Fortnite as a whole, but it makes offensive pressure really hard. Yeah. Well, the Chromes, in theory, give you the opportunity to do that. They're done so where you have a lockout animation and going in, if somebody is even remotely paying attention or even like, I, like I can hit that shot <laughs> and I'm not very good, right? So I think like you're kind of looking at the sets there where like, hey, maybe the Chrome is like a little bit too far on one end where you can't really use it offensively. But if somebody's pressuring one side wall and somebody can actually get on the back where there's enough going through, like there is a risk associated with it. So I like to see kind of like that little variable be played with more over the course of the season. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with everything. I'm always a fan of map-based movement. So this season has a ton of it, and it's not inventory-based besides the chromes, which, as you mentioned, both is like an engagement-based item as well as like movement is one of the more balanced I think, I think we've seen in competitive introduced any time recently. Because like we, we've seen launch pads, bounce pads, the Spider-Man, Web Slingers, and, you know, those all have kind of no downsides to them. Um, at, at times, like, obviously Mostly, there is. Yeah. Um, but the Chrome, you know, it's solid. You can use it to rotate. But if you get shot, there's a, like, animation of you coming out. You're going to take a lot of damage. You can pretty much avoid getting headshot sniped in it. Although, again, when you pop out, there's a chance. Um, and if you're not perfect with it, you wind up in somebody's box in end game or, you know, just in some engagement. But the one thing you mentioned that I, I want to keep talking about is the neutralization of walls. And that's something that is unique and innovative within Fortnite. Cause it's always been besides that one cup, the architect cup that, that's come back a couple of times. Um, 
it's always been it's either your wall or my wall and that the end of story now it turns into no one's wall but it's still permeable and can still be broken so i don't think we're anywhere near seeing how much interactions players are going to use with the chromes both offensively and defensively and i i'm excited to see how they continue to like innovate the uses for them during the the competitive play Oh, I promise you that, and we've seen this before in the history when you look back at competitive Fortnite, I promise you right now there's a duo who is sitting on a strat that we haven't seen yet, where they did it a couple times in some of their games, and then they made sure that nobody ever saw it, no Reddit <laughs> threads commented on it, no Twitter videos popped up, nobody else is using this tech all the time, and then they didn't use it at all. And now the question is, well, why would they do that? Wouldn't they want people to be able to figure it out? No, because they're going to break it out at some key point in the Invitational, and they're going to steal some points that they probably shouldn't have gotten because they had this little innovation. Like, we saw this with the Solari grenade trick back in the day. And again, wasn't necessarily theirs. They weren't the first ones doing it. But the second when it started popping up and they were doing it in every single cup, then you saw it's just like, oh, this is how they're getting all of these eliminations. You look and you see three of those little tick box on the timeline as you check up the VOD and you instantly go, hey, what happened here? And then everyone figures it out. And I guarantee, because like that's just kind of what happens in there. And as we see that kind of develop, like hopefully people are going to be on the top of their game. But like I think going back and reviewing those individual matches, you're going to see some really cool individual tech that you probably haven't seen before or it's just super obscure. Yeah, some players may even have done things and not even realize, like, oh, I just found gold. And then they'll probably do it a couple more times, and then someone else will see it, and then it'll be all over the place. Um, like, I remember, so again, going back to Duke and Clicks, they were sitting in a bush, and I was watching Clicks' stream, and Duke, Duke goes, just sit still for 10 seconds, there'll be no audio afterwards. And, you know, not many people picked up on that, but I did. I was like, oh, okay, I'm sharing that one. They weren't too happy about it, nor were some other players. But at the same time, you know, that's that's kind of just the game is you learn things. And there's a lot of people sharing those things about what's going on. Um, now, for you, going into the Invitational, we finally get to see pretty much the map and hopefully the the meta i'm sure there'll be some changes between now and i guess a month and a week or so um i i mean if there aren't i would i would be surprised man I, they literally already tweeted it's just like hey def fyi chrome is invading like make sure to be able to swap up your drop spots so like it generally i would assume something is going to end up happening right like that they don't warn player otherwise right no, I, I, I mean, the map has already changed. It's been, yeah. what, two weeks, right. and we saw a massive saying, so. update. Um, but, yeah, so map somewhat the same, somewhat different. Who knows exactly what it is? I, I do like uh, the comp Twitter throwing that out there. Like, hey, no excuses when you guys inevitably complain about map changes. We're telling you now that it's going to change, so deal with it, or someone else it just, will... It, sh it shocks me that that's still even a thing, because, like, if you look back, like, it, the map has just always changed. Just yeah. from a historical perspective, I would, like, the law of momentum is that if something is happening, like, you anticipate it is going to keep happening. Exactly. Um, but I, I, I think, relatively, the weapon and loot pool will stay the same. That normally is after two weeks about the same and we're, we're at that like two week into the season um do you have any kind of predictions not necessarily a player but what you're expecting for the invitational coming up um i would say it's a way too early prediction but now we're we're just somewhat early yeah i mean i i feel like we're closing in on it like Fortnite time is a little bit different where it both moves slower and moves quicker i think the benefit is there's going to be still a lot of gameplay between now and then to adjust on them i'll say the one thing i feel on a whole and i said this if you can go back and you can check the world cup pre-show uh, i think there's going to be some international duo not from nae eu like one of the quote-unquote like lesser known regions uh who performs very 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 well i'll even exclude na west from that because na west traditionally all right, let's, I'm going to go back to just kind of one. <laughs> like Traditionally, what ends up happening when we get major lands, NA West does really well. Uh, NA East will outperform Europe compared to how they end up playing online. And then there is some international player 
who does absurdly well and pushes themselves into like kind of a top five or top 10 who you wouldn't have thought of been there before. And we saw this on both parts of the World Cup. If you look at the, um, I forget who hosted the land in Saudi Arabia that you got, Gamers 8, right? Yeah, that Gamers what that 8. Was? That you guys casted? Yeah, yes. you guys did a fantastic job on that, Thank by you. the way. Um, like, it, again, very similar thing coming through. Um, I think that a lot of people are going to es- underestimate how good some of these top duos from Asia, from OCE, really can be like even br in a lot of that circumstance but like for me i think peppo and runafishi are disgusting like the fact that they almost three-peated over in asia they're i think 14 maybe 15 year old now japanese kids and they are really good like if you go back and watch some of their individual vods like they're ceiling for each one of their individual plays is incredibly high but when they're both working together and they're firing they have some nuts chemistry um i'll also call out looking down in oce um alec just winning everything like he has been gross and i mean this was the kid who when he was like he was beating up on everyone in the region when he was like 11 or 12 years old yeah. then when he was finally able to play when he was 13 he comes back and is still just winning everything um, so I think he has a lot to prove going on to the international stage, and it'll be very interesting. And, uh, I mean, Brazil always shows up as well. Like, I think to ignore what Pagazine has done down there over the past 6 to 18 months would be ludicrous and not expect him to at least have the opportunity to show up and compete. And they did super well at that uh, the Energy Castle event. I was mm-hmm. telling Sancho the entire time, I was like, hey, don't count out the Brazilian guys. Like, Pagazine <laughs> is good. This kid can play. Um, and he, he showed up and dominated. So it was like a little bit of a slow start. But I think uh, those are some of the ones to just, like, kind of keep an eye, eye out for. But I'd also anticipate that the trends kind of hold. Like, I don't think that will uh, be upset too much. Yeah, I mean, uh, my one fear with some of the smaller regions is... I don't know that those players have been tested as much as far as the other team's competition. Um, And this even goes for NA East. I I think EU kind of stands alone where those final style of lobby are top tier and from bottom to top, that's like the strongest player base we've seen in any kind of lobby thus far. So the margin for error in Europe is much smaller as you, you shrink down the, the like quote unquote top players in each region. So it'll be interesting to see like who can outperform those expectations. Cause I think going in, everyone's like, okay, EU's the best. Then there'll be some NA East teams, but obviously that's not how it's going to work. Like you just said, there will be other teams that outperform expectations and put themselves in a really good spot. I am in particular looking at the Brazilians. I, I think that they have done really well. And Pegazine, I think, uh, is probably the best player uh, over like any region. If you're just looking at singular region performance, he is the best player over the past year and a half, like you just mentioned. So clearly he, he dominates Brazil. But now going head to head with, you know, every other region. How does that work? And I don't know that I've watched enough other VODs to see massive different play styles and end games and things like that. Um, and see, you should, go, you should go watch some VODs then, man. I tell, I tell this all the time. Like, I, I feel like people, when analytically, especially ahead of some of these international tournaments, like, go watch like an actual round of some of the Asian VODs that are available there. Like, go watch some of the finals, even if it is just because Japan has a fantastic broadcast going through that I, I would always, like, if I was staying up too late, like, I have a DGen gamer schedule, like, probably 99% of the people who are listening. Um, but, like, I'd wake up and just watch the uh, Japan cast and, like, watch the gameplay going through. And I would argue that there are significant differences in terms of how the early game and how the mid game is played in Asia in particular. Like, you can pick up on a lot of those. OC, you see it a little bit when it comes to just, like, some of the hawking and around. But, like, Middle East and Brazil have very different play patterns when it comes to the end game and some of the early drops that come off. So it's like when all of those end up getting put together, I think, yes, if you take a step back and you look at everything, it's really easy to say, damn, Europe looks really good, right? That's a lot of players. That list is real thick. And every time we look at an FNCS at the top of the Europe, like it's so hyper-competitive. 
But on the same side, this isn't a 100% European lobby. And if you're going back and looking at the land results, there's always an NA team who is just sticks themselves in right at the top and kind of ends up being a front runner. There is always one international duo who, when you're looking at it, you're like, damn, like this player is really good. Like they're showing up and doing incredibly well so far. And I think that's largely going to end up being the case. I think if this was a majority EU lobby, sure, but that's just, that's not the case. Yeah, that's a good point. Other people get to influence how the lobby is going to play out other than just, you know, the same players that have played against each other time and time again. And the drop spot stuff, that'll be, be interesting because the egos of you're taking the best players from around the world, I'm sure not many people are going to be moving away from their drop spot. Um, I believe NA East Comp Report put out like the first official all-team yeah. uh, spot. Again, map's going to change. Players are going to move, all that stuff. But there are some teams that, as of now, have their own spot and then others are going to have to contest for areas. So I don't know. That's always a big point, and it's hard for us to kind of even talk about that because what goes on that map is not going to be what happens when players drop in. So I mean, yeah, I'm worrying about the drop map uh, precisely like maybe a minute after match one starts. Like, because before that, it's before that, it's all speculation, right? Like, we can't like until we see the interactions actually going down. It doesn't matter. But I think for this season in particular, and with the changes that have occurred to Storm Surge, if you haven't been watching Fortnite over the past like four to six months for competitive, they kind of went from that what Storm Surge had been for two years, like going all the way back to the World Cup base was implemented to a little more gradual scale as it comes through, but it ends up ticking on earlier. And now the impact that's had at the highest level is it's really less about kind of your loot off of drop and more about just constantly being ahead of surge and making sure you have just enough. And in some circumstances, if you want to fight right off the rip, that is enough. So if you're opposite a team you're confident against, cool, we're fine. We'll take that 50-50 and we'll flip a coin. Um, we've seen how that's gone in a number of NA East FNCSs where two teams will literally, I mean, we've seen it in EU with Savage over the past like three FNCSs where they just like literally refuses to leave the drop spot, whether it's during the semifinals or finals, and they consistently butt heads the entire time. Um, I think that's not going to be the case when you're sitting there on the stage with everyone else. I think people will find room and I think we're going to see a lot more uh, Storm Surge warnings first, second, third, fourth, like all the way through. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think not only is it like a respect thing, but I, I think more than anything, it's going to be nerves. It's going to be, oh, yeah. I, I don't want to fight somebody right off the bat. I'm shaking right now. Like, let's go find some area. And even if you go down first, first game, you have the chance to go in the VODs, be like, okay, we, we, there may not be the best loot here, but there is loot here that we can land and take. Um, one thing that I, I haven't really seen a ton of is mind games with the like drop spots. Uh, I think we saw it for the first time with a team landing, not first time, but one of the major ones I can remember was NA East this past season was scented getting landed on after a, thinking he had it all by himself. And I think we'll probably see a lot of that with uh, the lead up. So Drop maps are not going to be super helpful, like you said, until we get into the first match and see where everyone's going. I'm excited, though, because those have been some of the most, like, not controversial, but, like, high-intensity viral moments with players going head-to-head -head off drop, and there's nothing bigger than a land, bro. So I, do, I dislike when it's kind of random and people just end up being like, oh, I'm going to go over here because I've dropped here a couple times and it's good. But I think there's so much room when it comes to kind of that, I don't want to say like drop spot metagaming, but dude, it shocks me that people will literally, and I mean literally be like, oh, we're claiming all of this area and here's the outskirts for the <laughs> stuff I'm trying to get. And then they're, then I go VOD review and that's literally their game plan. And I'm like, okay, because we saw how this went back going all the way back to Mitro Mongo and Benji at the Mega Mall 
where they ended up getting landed on by the trio who grabbed the mechs around the outside, waited for them to get all the way to those max limits of the drop spot where they talked about, and they took isolated 1v3s, and they ruined that entire time. And if your team is really freaking good at fighting in the early game, then... Dude, don't worry about playing the mid and end game. Like, you'll figure that out. You'll be safe. If you can drill five or six different drop spots and somebody thinks they're alone, and then you're able to just either catch, like, a double pickaxe on a chest, or you 50-50 somebody to a, a, a gun and somebody else gets the drop spot and cuts them off, like, there's ways that you can isolate and manufacture points. And I feel like that's just been lost in a lot of competitive Fortnite. Like, we see it a little bit with, like, the... Um, uh, loot baiting or npc baiting when you're able to buy launch pads in certain circumstances right. but like kind of those like little ratty sneaky battle royale tactics that you have seen in a lot of the other games have just gone away but why because everyone plays this certain way and there's a way that like people think the game is ideal i mean we see every season that somebody's able to come up with something that ends up being better and I, it just feels like there's not as much creativity going around. Like, I want people to get more creative in terms of, like, playing the format and playing the game. Yeah, I think back when uh, the first uh, Seti Kami Teak split, we saw that teams took advantage of how split they were, and then they had to adjust because their whole game plan was reliant on having this massive area that wasn't super loot dense, but there was enough if they were able to get it all. And then teams were like, you guys are 300 meters away from one another. We're just going to rotate, take one of you down, and then good luck because now we have a three-on-two. And there's teams that are still doing that. Sammy, or Sammy. Cami and Seti are still one of those teams that have been splitting, but obviously have learned now that, okay, let's land a little closer together and not put ourselves into problems. But that would be a very interesting piece is to learn the tendencies of teams because, I mean, you watch these teams go in, they have these practice loot routes, they're going down, they're in the same spots and you find one weakness. This is something, I mean, I even think about Arab back at uh, the farms or I think it was Frenzy Farms, he figured out, and back when Boop was coaching people, he figured out, okay, there is weaknesses in our opponent's paths and different things. Let's take advantage of it. Let's put ourselves in the right position and win these fights. And I I really hope we get to see that, and I hope um, the players understand there's opportunity for those wins. I mean, that's what it's all going to be about, because unless like it, there's a clear winner, as we've seen in a lot of these international environments, it comes down to a couple of different interactions going through. There's very close times. Like, yes, we've seen Bugup obviously pull all the way ahead, but in the Duos World Cup, everyone was right on top of each other until kind of that back-to-back -back W ended up coming through. Like, there's tons of ways where if you can just shift your momentum personally and just come up with elimination come up with some points and manufacture them you'll be able to get the ball rolling and i mean i always particularly call out when it was king back in the solo world cup like he just played he'd been on the stage the day before he played in the duos he kind of gotten out all of those jitters and then he just ran at people. Like, and he ran at people. And the thing is, there's going to be, like, NA East EU players, like, I'll call it out in particular, where if they get run at by another duo who is, even if it is from their region, but I would assume it's likely not going to be from their region, um, if they get run at early and they get pressured, their instant thought isn't going to be, like, oh, what could we have game plan to do better? Their thought is going to be, why is this guy running at me? We're on a huge stage playing for hundreds of thousands of dollars, and he's just running at me. Like, why wouldn't he want to play safe and rotate? Well, that's because he thinks you're a potato and he can come get you, <laughs> right? Like, that's what it ends up being. If you can find the points and you can, like, play on somebody's expectations and take advantage of what you do better, like, they're going to be able to go for it. And I'm just excited to see who kind of steps up to that opportunity because there's always a couple stars who, after the fact, you're like, wow, I'm really glad I got to watch X person play, and I just want to know who X is going to be. Yeah, I'm with you, um, especially because Storm Surge and the changes that you mentioned, like, we have our traditional ideas of everyone go find a hill, everyone box up and start taking shots, and then that's how Storm Surge is played. But like you mentioned, there's going to be teams that are like, nah, I'm not, I'm not playing this. Like, this is not our game. We're box fighters. And I don't know if there's any double controller duos. I'd have to go look. But likely they would 
be forced to be more aggressive rather than sit up in a tower and try and take shots at range uh, just due to the nature of trying to aim at a distance on controller. So that could be a big factor. I know, uh, I think it's Rapid from Middle East is considered one of the, the top fraggers on the region and a very aggressive player. So I, maybe they're the ones, you know, way too early predictions of who's doing what. Um, yeah, the storm surge is going to be huge because there is going to be players that don't come prepared and learn what storm surge is like and then have oh, and no awful, answer. Man. And if you haven't, and again, I've only played under it a couple of times, like, and this is in testing environments, some of like the very early like scrims and stress tests back in the day. And again, not a very good player, all manufactured, nothing on the line in terms of money and all that. It, it is stressful. You hear the sound go on, you start getting hit by damage, you look down at your utility, you're thinking, God, I gotta start burning some of this stuff, or I gotta like stick my head out. And now I think that gets even worse because it's like if you're under storm surge threshold, like you're the only one who is going to be firing shots, and I promise you somebody is hanging out there with a sniper rifle, right? And, like, if you're in that lobby in Raleigh, I promise you Thomas HD is looking <laughs> towards any of those shots that are getting fired out. And if you're in render distance of him, he's going to be throwing bullets towards you. And that's terrifying because all it's going to take is, like, yes, you might just end up – it might be nowhere near where they can clean it up. But all of a sudden, you end up with that one shot, one down, and you have to burn through all of your excess shields and all of your excess utility and then go expose yourself somewhere else to farm. And maybe you're under threat from Storm Surge before. I mean, I feel like people don't give enough credit to just how stressful like competitive Fortnite at the highest level is. But then also playing competitive Fortnite when you're behind in a game. Like if you get all the loot given to you right off of the start, if you're like alphaing out the best drop spot, or even if you just open three chests and get all the things you need, the game becomes infinitely easier if all of a sudden you see like two common weapons a green like maybe one set of minis off of your entire loot path you're starting to look around being like i'm in danger like this is bad <laughs> and it's like it's really hard to then make something happen after that but we see it happen all the time oh yeah and part of it's rng part of it's planning you know you can minimize that rng and the best teams are the ones that get themselves let's call it a capable loadout and then get them get them to wherever they need to go you know whether it be rotate to a poi and third party or find your surge spot something like that um but fortnite's a huge momentum based game i mean even just winning some fights like mentally gets you going you're gonna try and get the next one um now i would like to shift gears a little bit we were talking a lot about the game uh i would love to talk a little bit more about sundown and yeah. kind of how you have grown because I, I've learned a lot about what you've done in your work with Epic, but I don't know that everyone knows all the different things you've done. So would, would you mind sharing a little bit about how you went from starting there to becoming a very big face and, and everything in between? Uh, yeah, sure. So just one of the things to clarify is like Ed, whenever talking about any of this, I'm still under like a perpetual NDA when it comes to any like the processes, policies and all that. So clarifying one, any of it is just personal opinion and kind of more just my individual story than looking at that. Um, but originally I played uh, competitive slash professional Gears of War from the time I was 14 to 18, like midway through my uh, freshman year of college. I decided to hang it up because playing a uh, college sport plus doing classes, uh, plus also trying to compete in a game uh, was an awful lot. Um, so after that, I ended up playing a little bit of StarCraft II and then League of Legends. Uh, I got relatively high up in StarCraft II to just like, it was like mid-diamond or whatever it was during the time when a lot of people were playing that. Uh, but I was actually just terrible at the game. <laughs> like, re like really good at micro, had like one or two strats because in my head it's just like, oh, do the same thing every time, win 80% of my games. Hey, this is fun. Uh, but then when you realize like, oh, I win 80% of my games, I win early, but then anything that goes after... 15 minutes i'm losing 96 percent of i don't actually know how to play the game i know how to cheese somebody um so one guy was very kind enough to be like hey you don't actually want to play starcraft you want to play league of legends and i was like what's that he's like it's like starcraft but instead of controlling a bunch of people you control one and i'm like that sounds great i'm gonna go check that out uh so i started doing that when it was like season two or so and that was like sophomore year of college and got into community management 
uh, worked for a gaming organization. We almost got a team into the uh, LCS. We got into kind of like the Challengers League. We lost to, uh, we had two teams in there. One lost to Team 8. The other lost to uh, LMQ, who were TIP at the time, who were a uh, Chinese Challenger team who came over and just ran it. Um, but got a bunch of experience in terms of like working in games, working in MOBAs, being around the scene. And I saw a job pop up when I was just kind of like working in sales after college that was for a QA position at Epic. I think it was dubbed competitive QA off of the start. And I looked at the qualifications and it was like, oh, like professional gaming experience, like an analytical mind, like somebody who's decent with documentation and videos and all that kind of stuff. And I was looking and I'm like, Oh, I'm pretty qualified for this. And it happens that it was one of my uh, old Gears of War friends who was heading up the team, ended up like talking through it. And I decided I wasn't going to put in an application. Uh, he called me a couple of days later and he's like, no, you're an idiot. You should put in an application. <laughs> uh, I ended up falling through with it, uh, left my whole life in DC, moved back in with my mom in North Carolina because she happened to live 20 minutes from the studio. Um, and then I worked at Epic for seven years or almost seven years. I was like six six years and like 11 months or something like that um so started in competitive qa then got moved to uh it was competitive design analyst so shifted out of qa into design stuff um qa initially is just like was finding a lot of bugs just playing the game a lot but also providing some like qualitative and balanced just initial feedback um then on the design side it was actually kind of doing some like in-engine design, like sitting in some of the meetings with the animators and the FX guys and kind of taking down notes and being able to relay and do some of the implementation stuff. Um, from there, I did uh, some hero design, so some of the rework that came through, and this is all just MOBA-related stuff. So if you don't know MOBA terms, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to explain <laughs> it. You can just you can go Google MOBA. It's a super popular game or uh, game type. Um, and then I did some system design stuff. So it was kind of like uh, for Paragon, that was the card system uh, and the item system. But alongside that, like towards the end of Paragon, obviously Fortnite got super, super, super popular and was really good. So then once I ended up being moved over to Fortnite, uh, me still trying to do kind of the designer editor stuff, I opened up the engine and I looked at it and I'm like... I have no idea what I'm looking at. <laughs> like again, like I went to school for political theory. I played games the entire time. I went to maybe like 60% of my classes. Like one, don't be like me. If you're in school and doing all this stuff, like go to your classes, at least do the bare minimum they require of you. Like I graduated with a degree, but I definitely spent much more of my time focusing on gaming and uh could have could have probably balanced that out a little bit better in that regard. Um but when I was sitting there and I was just like this is really hard. Um, so I just like couldn't really wrap my brain all the way around it. So I ended up doing a lot more uh, kind of work on the mobile and Switch side of Fortnite. I think the last design thing I ended up doing Fortnite-wise was I worked on the, um, the first shot accuracy system and the first iteration of that with the lead designer who was on that. I kind of gave like a bunch of feedback, some initial round of numbers and things. But those were like kind of the last things that I ended up doing, like anything design-oriented when working at Epic. Um, otherwise, after that, swapped over to the competitive teams, and then it was just kind of whatever administration work during the skirmishes it was. Uh, then by World Cup time, ended up doing a bunch of broadcast stuff. After that, did some influencer marketing things for a bit there because we had uh, the broadcast down for a little bit during that six-month time frame, right. um, and then ended up hopping back over to the broadcast team when we ended up doing all that. So uh, literally, when I say I've touched... A little, almost everything in gaming. It's uh, almost everything in gaming at this point, from QA to design to marketing to production. It's uh, it's been quite the journey. Lots of different hats. Now, can I ask you? Did you ever have plans to become a caster? Like, was that something you were pushing for while you were working there, or was it someone came to you and was like, uh, "You seem like you'd be good at this. Let, let's throw you up there." Like, how'd that all happen? Um, when it comes to like my casting background, like I did that back in the Gears of War days. Um, and again, like not talking too much when it comes to like Epic Eternal stuff, but, uh, for me, it's always been about like being able to tell the story of the player and, um, just being able to kind of like explain the systems. And I say like, I kind of cheat 
where I have a mostly photographic memory. So like if I look at like League of Legends, a prime example, knowing every single character's ability name is a ridiculous thing and knowing all the interactions and how they go through it. If you have a sheet up next to you on a confidence monitor that has all those things over and you can review that right beforehand, um, that becomes a lot easier to apply when your memory is kind of photographic. Now, when you get into a... The, I think my first casting experience with Epic was a the Paragon Exhibition Tournament where I ended up casting um, when we were debuting our new card system. And one of the things is, hey, somebody had to know all of the names of the cards and all of the effects and what they did and be able to explain to them while talking about the game. And all of a sudden, that subsection of people is real small. Because if it's a brand new system that other people haven't looked at, like you can't bring in some of the community to do that. And Fortnite is was kind of a similar vein, particularly at the start when it came to international tournaments, right? And you're looking at some of the bigger skirmishes things where you have a bunch of players coming from Europe or players from all over the world. And nobody really knew who a lot of these people were. So it's like tough to talk to. And like people weren't necessarily watching a bunch of Europe gameplay and NA East. You maybe watched a couple of your favorite players, but maybe your favorite players weren't the ones who are actually all the way at the top and were performing in that tournaments, right? Especially back in that day, like we're spoiled now with a wealth of information we have and Fortnite tracker and all the live information and VODs and Back then, you kind of just had word of mouth or maybe a leaderboard or the standings that ended up being posted after some of the showdowns, and you just kind of had to go filter through and see what people were posting on their own. Um, and so just being able to tell the story of those players was huge and ended up getting the opportunity where it's just like, hey, we have a slot and need somebody who's able to kind of be able to speak to those. And uh, I got thrown on, I think it was... Uh, Fall skirmish is like TwitchCon 2018. It was like day two, just like doing some of the interviews, being able to like kind of talk to the players and knew a little bit of their backstory and what went on during the game. And I'm not gonna lie, I was scared. Like, <laughs> yeah, like if you go back and watch those vods, I don't even know if they're still up. I assume they are. Like, I am literally shaking, holding the microphone, and like I've never done interviews in my life. I've done color commentary. I've done play by play. I've done some analysis occasionally. I've never done an interview. I had no clue what it was like. But like, you just kind of like threw myself in there and being able to go through it. And I'd say at the start. I was terrible when it came to some of that stuff. Like I go back and watch my early cast now and I'm like, thank God they like somebody had faith in me somewhere <laughs> because like, at least like, I, I feel like if I, anybody does something over two to three years and you stick with it and you're applying yourself, like you should see kind of some level of growth. Right. Um, but yeah, I just like, I would talk over people. I would stutter. I get like way too into the thing I was talking about and talk about it for three minutes and since then, the camera's changed three times and we're looking at something else. I mean, you can go back to the Papa Bandage clip. Like, as infamous as that one was and me desperately trying to scream at a player through a teleprompter on what he should do <laughs> in a split-second decision when he had enough time to just run back into the freaking zone. Uh, like, sometimes I look back on that stuff and cringe, but I think the benefit is, like, being able to stick with it for so long and you could tell that everybody in the Fortnite scene who like has casted over any point of that genuinely cares about the players and telling their experience and what has happened and going through that and seeing that kind of develop into the norm was really cool i know that's kind of a long-winded uh answer to the question you gave but it was more of a combo of like i'd had some of the experience and was there and largely casting is a really hard job and being able to speak to all of those individual things, if there's somebody who wants to be doing and like has the opportunity to do so, like give them a shot. And if they're not terrible and maybe somebody has faith in them, maybe they get to keep doing it for a while, right? Yeah. No, it's, it's not hard. <laughs> all you have to do is talk about a video game. It's the easiest job in the world. Um, right? Says I just someone, talk about games, man. <laughs> says someone that's probably never tried to do it. Um, and uh, the more you do it, the harder it gets, to be honest, because then you oh, try yeah. and, like, you understand more about it. You try and do a better job. And, like, like you mentioned, you got so much better and just continued to get better. And then seeing having the opportunity to work with you and understand like your process and the VOD reviews and things like that. Like it was really cool to see because you and pretty much everyone else genuinely cares and is like going in the VODs. All right. How do I get better tonight? We just finished. Let's watch. 
we got our own vods we got player vods all that stuff and then you dive back in go go again tomorrow and just keep cranking it out but it was it was fun and I, i always appreciate like you and your knowledge of like random things is such like a a fun piece of the broadcast that i appreciated and i think it was um back when they were doing like those question stats like some random historical stat it was like it became stump sundown time because (laughs) you always had some like oh i know this one of something one or two people probably knew the answer to and you were one of them well, I mean, all, like I said, it's the it's the whole partial photographic memory thing. It's like all the info is there. I just like I got to go find it. Right. And it's just like once you start talking about like skirmishes, it's like, OK, we're talking all the FNCSs. I'm like, bro, we're going back like two and a half years now at this point. We're going back to season X and trying to figure out like which upsets happened when, who is playing with who, which game mode are we even in? When, when was squads again? Like just trying to like fill out all of those things in my head. But I mean, it like as you said just kind of the fortnite casters as a whole i think do a fantastic job where like you go and apply it and i think this is casting across any game where and people have always asked me it's like oh how do you get better how do you end up like making the improvements you do like the second you're done i know you want to wait till tomorrow i know it's tough i know there's long days um at least for me like especially when we're in the work from home environment but uh being on set is a little different uh the second you're done with the cast if you have the ability if you have the bandwidth if you have the energy and nothing else is going on and you have the time i highly recommend loading up that vod as soon as you have the ability to going back through and go through literally grab a notebook grab a pen and write down the notes Write down which words you repeat too many times. Write down when you talk over your other casters. Write down when you think you sound boring. Write down when you're way too hype when there's nothing going on on the screen. <laughs> write, but also write down the times so where you're like, damn, that was a good call. Yeah. Like I called something out. I set something up. I made sure people knew the relevant information. And then it ended up going through. And you'll notice that over the course of time, your notes will develop. I think one of the coolest things is, and you might be able to... I'll go grab it at some point. Um, I have literally every single analysis card from every single live event I ever worked on Fortnite. So every wow. single one I've saved, going all the way back to every one of the skirmishes, every time I ever went up during a break, anytime during the World Cup pre-show, like all of those analysis, I have every one of my notes in the cards up there. Eventually, I want to do like a whole art collage and thing. It was really cool to see like my very first ones when I was up there for kind of the Winter Royale when I was doing the initial analysis, um, seeing how in-depth I went into the notes and what I was trying to explain. And I was basically like reading off of the page and looking down the card and then looking back up and all that compared to when you get to stuff from... I think the last one I had was maybe the streamer bowl and then the FNCS we did is it's maybe two or three lines and it's a timestamp and it's just like something is starred real quick. It's like, Hey, make sure you bring up this while you're talking about it. But like you're ending up building a rhythm, but you still see like the development in terms of what is important as you're going through that. Yeah. It's, it's cool. And I, I know you, uh, as you just mentioned, obviously take notes i'm more of a next morning kind of guy i like to to sleep on it then go back the next day and and see typically after a cast that'll be the like make breakfast and then okay we're, we're watching what just happened um because it's important and i don't think a lot of people know that casters go back and watch themselves because honestly who would think that they go back and do that it's like ah you just did your job it's over with but it's a very important piece and there's like I used to have such terrible crutch words and no voice inflection. I was basically speaking in this monotone piece the entire time and it, it took effort. It, it genuinely takes effort to get where you want to go. Um, and it's cool. I, I, I very much appreciated the journey and very much appreciate you joining me here. Um, we're about at an hour here sundown, but I would love to have you back in some point because we clearly have not covered even that much in this yeah, hour. I could talk I could talk about this all day, man. You know me. As you said, like right off of the start, like you guys won't see this part. It's cut out when he was explaining to me how everything goes, but he's like, I know it's got the real tough uh real tough asking you to talk about yourself and I just was like 
I know you're making fun of me, but I love talking about myself. <laughs> I can do this forever. I got anecdotes for days. So, yeah, any, anytime you want me on, I'm more than happy to come through, whether it's Fortnite, gaming as a whole, uh, anything, man. Like, I, I got an opinion on it. I promise you. All right, perfect. I'll hold you to that. But I got a couple of things in wrap-up. Um, if you've seen these, you probably know what questions are coming. So where does Sundown come from? How would you get the name? Uh, so Sundown originally is from the very first Top Gun. So my first gamer tags was MDogs112705, and my brother and I shared that. It was just thrown up rather than the randomly generated one. Um, I started playing Call of Duty relatively seriously, and the guy was like, hey, I'm going to add you this thing called uh, SOCOM Battles right before game battles back in the day. I'm dating myself a ton here. I'm old. I'm going to be 30 this year, so <laughs> we're, we're taking it over here, ladies and gentlemen. And he, she's, they's, them, everyone in between. It's been forever since I've gotten to say that. Um, but he was like, dude, you need a better name. And I used to play with just like a projector on the side and random movies running. And uh, when uh, Goose dies in Top Gun, the first navigator that uh, Tom Cruise gets afterward was named Sundown. And the dude had a super sick helmet. And I was like, that's such a cool name. And it's already a call sign. A call sign is basically a gamer tag. Like, sold. I'm going to be Sundown. Um, so that that was that was pretty cool. That's where it's from. Uh, I like I, that. Yeah, I've run into, like, a couple Sundowns here or there across other games. But it's not super common. So, yeah. I mean, Sundown is a solid one. I, I like that one. Also, like your hair. I haven't mentioned that. It's a nice looking cut. I know you're growing it out to donate it, but you look good even with short hair. Um, I haven't seen you. I don't know that I've ever seen you with short hair. So no, it, it, it has been a while. I started growing it uh, right at the when I first started working at Epic because literally they were like, uh, I'd walked in and I'd clean myself up a little bit. I made a joke to my lead at the time. I was like, hey, I, I cut my hair and uh, shaved. I guess I shouldn't have done that because both him and then like my manager had huge, like big beards. <laughs> and they were like, oh, well, you shouldn't have done that. You should grow your hair and your beard out. So I literally didn't shave and cut my hair for six months. I had, like, just full-on lumberjack. And finally, I shaved the beard off. And I was like, I kind of want to grow the hair out. And then six and a half, seven years later, I decided to chop it all off. So can confirm, I have never seen you without your long hair up until now. Well, and when you posted a picture. But yeah, there you go. besides that, um. What is your favorite Fortnite skin of all time? You got a bunch to choose from. Daring Duelist. Easy. Okay. Mask on. Slap the ball on the back. Like, no question. I've, I've loved that outfit for literally as long as it's been there. Um, I couldn't think of a, another one who I'd want to end up putting in that regard. Um, but always the mask on variant. Like, I don't, her face, like, kind of creeps me out a little bit. <laughs> so, like, definitely have to have the mask on. But it's just, it's so clean, man. Yeah, I, some people have that answer right away, and you know that they actually have a favorite, and then some people have to think about it, and you're like, they don't really care that much. There, there's like a handful of them that they use, uh, but definitely had that one prepared. And, and lastly, what are you going to be up to, Sundown, like, now that you, you've teased some content, or are going to see some content coming up, what do you got? Uh, right now, largely just been kind of chilling. I mean, as you alluded to off the start with the new job, uh, working over on predecessor for Omega Studios, like that's been our big thing. Like getting early access out this year has kind of been our big push. And um, to be like totally honest on my end, like I loved Paragon so much, and I'm just as, if not more, in love with Predecessor. So the fact that I get to play test it and play it all day, um, it makes it really difficult to then kind of want to go record content either for like another game or like go stream if I like don't have that as an option, right? Because I ideally, if I am going to end up going and doing that stuff, which I 100% plan on doing, by the way, but we'll see. Like, because I don't want to roll it out at that point, but um, that. I want to be able to at least have the option to play it because otherwise half the time I'm going to be sitting there being like, damn, wish I could be playing predecessor right now. Um, so I think like once I'm able to get the balance in, we'll see a variety coming through, but I also really want to do just some more colloquial Fortnite stuff. I think looking at some of like the third party tournaments, maybe hopping around and potentially throw my ring in that hat to cast. Okay. Um, but also just doing, doing some general VOD breakdowns. Um, I've thought about potentially going like the almost 
hardcore coaching route because I think there's a lot of veins there. And I honestly have a lot of respect, particularly I think Blood X and Destiny Jesus do an amazing job for the players who they end up working with when you're looking and breaking it down. But I also think there's a gap there. I think that there's it's a space that hasn't necessarily been as explored. Um, but I also, like, to just be perfectly honest, I don't really want to be that involved when it comes to the highest <laughs> level of stuff. Like, I'm like, I'm like in like kind of the one layer removed for me has been really nice. Um, but I'd say generally anticipate, like, I'm always going to be on Twitter, like, tweeting about random results when people have, like, hype plays and giving comments on that type of stuff. Um, assume I'm going to be around when it comes to uh, streaming on Twitch, particularly after Predecessor is in EA, but I definitely want to get some of the Fortnite content out there. Um, and I have a I have a YouTube series that I'm thinking about, um, but I'm just going to, like, kind of float around that is 0% gaming related at all. So. Okay. So X Sundown, the O is a zero. Follow him on Twitter. That's probably the main hub, as you just said, to keep up Twitter, with you. Twitch, Instagram, I think. I, yeah, I, I don't do TikTok right now. I, I know TikTok is fantastic. If you're out there and you're creating an influencer, uh, you probably should be. There's huge bags to be made over there. Um, but it's just not for me. I've never been a best, like, that's always not been my thing. Like, I never did Vine, like, short video content. I'm with you on that one. Like, off for me. But your short video content has been fantastic. Make sure you check out Somebody's Gun as well, at Somebody's Gun Across It. The FN story, the Fortnite story has been fantastic. Thank you for having me. Hopefully, I didn't just steal your outro, but... <laughs> Nah, you're good. I appreciate you, man. Uh, thank you so much. And thank you for the shout. You're the first one to give me like a full shout back. Normally I have hey, to do dude, it myself. No, thanks, thanks for having me here. This is awesome. And I'd say that like, it's a big thing, like keeping the world going around and listening to when it comes to the competitive community, like the content is cool. Like the plays are great, but I like, I love this longer form stuff. I watch all of them. Like I'll toss them on in the background. So, I mean, it's awesome to have the opportunity to be, be able to come on and just have a chat that's cool we'll have you back again and uh we'll have to grab a beer here soon i know we've tried a couple of times but unsuccessful thus far uh thank you guys for watching at home if you are tuning in and watching all the way to the end i appreciate you massively thank you so much uh if you need to ask me anything you have any comments concerns anything about this show uh feel free to shoot me a dm somebody's gun on twitter thank you guys so much we will see you next time Bye. Bye.